I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Blackest eyes, the devil's eyes, purely and simply evil. You're out of your mind, Wang. God bless you. <laughs> what do we do? Hello out there and welcome back to Precinct 13, a podcast about the movies, music, and mind of John Carpenter. My name is Nick Rocco Scalia, one of your two co-hosts, joined as always by your other co-host, Chris Oliphant. Chris, it's been a while. How are things? Things are fantastic, Nick. I'm just so happy to be recording. I was, <laughs> maybe our audience thought that we like disappeared or something, but lo and behold, we have returned to continue our John Carpenter everything discussion. Yeah, it's been a, a longer hiatus than expected, kind of an unplanned hiatus, and I guess we could just blame that on 2020, because you can almost blame <laughs> anything, I feel like, on 2020 at this point, and people will be like, oh yeah, right, it's 2020. So, uh, we'd like to get back on track, getting the episodes out every two weeks on our usual schedule, and hopefully this will be the start of that. Chris, we are getting away from the filmography a little bit tonight to go back to the second part of the equation, which is the music of John Carpenter. What's on tap for this evening's episode? Yeah, so on previous episodes, we covered uh, both John Carpenter's anthology movie themes record. And then also, a couple months back, we covered John Carpenter's first proper studio solo album, Lost Themes, which was direct uh, released through Sacred Bones Records and released in February of 2015. That was actually shortly followed by a remix album, Lost Themes Remixed, which came out, I believe, in November of 2015, later that year. And then as soon as April of 2016, we get Lost Themes 2, which is the second studio album from John Carpenter, uh, again released through Sacred Bones. And it is composed, performed, and engineered by John Carpenter, Cody Carpenter, and Daniel Davies, just like the first Lost Themes record. So in the interest of having some episodes that focus on John Carpenter, the musician, and not the filmmaker, we thought we could easily do an episode on part two of this Lost Themes saga. And uh, I don't know where you got that information from, with that little teaser text that you sent me. Uh, that, that I guess, did you hear that there's a Lost Themes 3 in the works? Yeah, so that was like internet chatter, and I'm not sure how much of it I believe, but we talked about a little bit earlier this year, John Carpenter released a single. It was uh, an A-side and a B-side. It was Skeleton and Unclean Spirit, and basically they sounded a lot like the material on Lost Themes. They were kind of Carpenter compositions that were not attached to any of the film scores he's doing. I mean, he's working on film scores right now as we speak. Uh, I believe mm -hmm. the, the two Halloween sequels that we thought we were going to be seeing this year. I mean, I guess he's finished with the scores of those probably. I think those movies are basically done. So we'll see those in 2021. And then just sort of uh, Googling around a little bit, and I haven't seen anything since then. This was a couple months ago. But um, what I heard was the, the Skeleton slash Unclean Spirit single was a little preview for the next Lost Themes album, which uh, as far as I've heard, and again, I don't remember where I got this information from, I think it might have been in one of the articles about the Thing remake 
and all the things that are going on that are sort of tangential to Carpenter's main career. Right. But it sounds like there's going to be a Lost Themes 3 in February of 2021. I hope that's the case. I'm really looking forward to next year, as I think I've probably already indicated. So that'll be a great way to kick things off. New Carpenter album, new music from the guy who is kind of the center of our podcasting world at the moment. And uh, I look forward to doing uh, maybe an immediate episode. Like if that comes out in February, we need to get on that right away, I think, no matter where we're at otherwise. Yeah, he's been kind of busy, and being a collector has not gotten any less expensive for me. They basically <laughs> just, um, Waxworks Records just announced pre-sale on, they just did a 40th anniversary double vinyl, 180 gram, The Fog reissue, uh, and also Escape from New York with beautiful, beautiful cover art and very colorful vinyl that includes, you know, books with like set photography and everything, and I'm like, damn it, dude, I already have both of these scores like on vinyl and I'm just like, but I have to buy them because they're just so freaking gorgeous. And then also, um, it wasn't, uh, let's see, it was probably back in March or April when they re-released the Ennio Morricone score for The Thing, which included some new music from John Carpenter under the title Lost Cues. And there was about four new tracks on there. So there's all kinds of new Carpenter stuff coming out, but I think that um, these Lost Theme albums that came out 2015, 2016, were like such a treat for the fans, you know, because the only music that was really available from him prior to these were his movie soundtracks and scoring. Yeah, and he hadn't made a movie in a while at that point, so it was just good to see him back up to his old business, uh, you know, that that side of things. So um, we, we have a lot to talk about with Lost Themes, too. As we did with the first album, we're going to just break it down track by track. I mean, we're not going to do an episode that's longer than the album itself. I think it's less than 50 minutes, but I definitely have a lot to say about it. It was an interesting listen. I had never heard the first one before we talked about it, and I held off on this one until we were ready to do an episode on it. So looking mm. forward to that discussion. Before we get to that, Chris, it's been a long time. Tell me what you're seeing or listening to lately that uh, our listeners and, and the greater John Carpenter fan community might be interested in hearing about. Yeah, so I finally uh, got back into my Shutter account, and I started just going through all the titles in alphabetical order and just creating my own list. Uh, I figured that would be a good way to kind of knock some movies out that I was interested in seeing. And my, my tactic was really kind of funny. The, the way I went about it was I was, I was trying to pick stuff that I thought just looked super ridiculous. You know, like <laughs> I, I, ju I just felt like in the mood to watch some really bad movies. And like the interesting thing is a lot of these movies I ended up watching turned out to be pretty good. Um, the one that I saw recently, which is, insanely over the top but it's a it's very very funny nick have you heard of a movie called wolf cop i've heard of it i don't know much about it so it's a canadian kind of you know black comedy werewolf movie if you will and i've got to say i had such a good time with this movie and i can't wait because i guess there's a sequel called another wolf cop <laughs> and <laughs> so i'm trying to track that down but that's the first movie that sticks in my this movie is I mean literally it's all in the title you know what what you're getting into when you watch this movie but I thought that it was really funny the humor in it was awesome and you actually get to see this man just like 
explode into a werewolf. And there's some some details there that I don't want to talk about on the show because they're pretty explicit. But <laughs> oh, uh, I, I, yeah, but I, I, I'm telling you right now, I actually would give a eh, a soft recommend to Wolf Cop. And then another movie I watched recently on Shudder that was just unbelievably mind-blowing to me is uh you heard of street trash nick i've heard of that one and i know a lot about that movie i've actually never seen it the 80s low budget i believe trauma released it but it wasn't a trauma production i have nothing else to say other than the movie's called street trash i just i don't know but uh, again i just some of these movies i i can't believe that they exist and it's another reason why again we're, we're not sponsored by them but i just love shutter because it's just this absolute archive of movies that you would never ever think of watching or seeing or even dream of and um you know it's like street trash is there you can watch the maniac cop trilogy you can do wolf cop um all, the, <laughs> all wolf, these crazy. wolf cop and maniac cop you could do a double feature Exactly. Yeah, so it's been a lot of funny stuff, like, on my list to watch next. I'm doing, like, Jack Frost. Um, There's a movie called Pieces that I want to check out. And I should also mention, I did watch the Scream Queen doc. Oh, the the Nightmare on Elm Street 2 thing. Yeah, with Mark Patton. Uh, What a powerful documentary and uh, just a really interesting story behind kind of how he was exploited and his his like you know at one point he's like in the biggest movie in the world but then at the same time because of the you know homosexual subtext in the mid 80s it like also like blacklisted him for the rest of his career and this movie's kind of like this this kind of triumphant return of him basically going on tour shortly after the never sleep again uh, nightmare on elm street doc came out and him just uh, <clears throat> basically kind of celebrating this movie and sexual freedom and things of that nature. And I just found it was uh, anything, any doc that's in the Nightmare on Elm Street world, I want to see. Um, this one was, I would highly recommend it. It's called, uh, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's just called Scream Queen. Yeah, I've heard a lot. It's Scream, comma, Queen, which is great. Yeah, I, I yes. love, as you were saying, Shudder also has a whole section of documentaries, and I haven't had a chance to watch many of them, but I'm the same way, right? I love behind-the-scenes stuff. I love to learn about the making of films that I love, and also just sort of those genre things, like the, uh, what's it, In Search of Darkness, that horror one you've been talking mm. about. Like, I can't wait to just, like, have a day where I can just dig into that. And again, we're shilling for Shudder. I was just listening to our last episode, and I really, it sounds so much like we're being paid to say this, but we are definitely <laughs> not. We would love to be. Give us a call, Shudder. Um, but I actually finally had a chance to sit down and watch a movie that I wasn't assigned to review and wasn't for the show, and mm. that that was on Shutter as well. Chris, have you seen The Color Out of Space? I have not, but I saw the thumbnail on there. Yeah, so I was very excited for this movie for a long time. I'm a huge H.P. Lovecraft fan, as John Carpenter is also. And what was cool about this film, one, is that it stars Nicolas Cage. So you know anything that he's in is always going to be a good time for one reason or another. Uh, sometimes it's a so bad it's good time. But I'm a huge fan of Cage at his best and at his craziest. And also, so this film is made by Richard Stanley, who I think has one of the most fascinating and tragic careers in in horror filmmaking um do you know anything about richard stanley you've seen one of his movies because we talked about it on an old show oh really what movie was that all right so he starts his career i don't know if it's his first movie but he made the movie hardware you remember the mark 13 
Oh my god! <laughs> wow, what a blast from the past. Yes, we used to always talk about that thing, and, and like we all these fantasy like uh, Mach thirteen versus scenarios. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We wanted to put that robot in everything because that robot's fucking awesome. It's the most one of the most yeah. badass things I've ever seen in a movie. So that was kind of the film that launched his career. Uh, our co-host Brian did not like that movie, and I was just kind of uh, sad of about not. that because I think it's great. Um, so he goes on after that to make a movie called Dust Devil in South Africa. I think he's from South Africa. So it got released in America on video and I think was cut down to like, you know, they cut a half hour or something out of it. And there is a director's cut. I've never seen the movie, but I hear the director's cut is great. And the version that was released, I think just direct to video in America is, is OK, but doesn't really have the, the depth that his original version did. And then he was fired after a week from the island of Dr. Moreau that terrible adaptation of that they did in the mid 90s with a very mm -hmm. old very ornery Marlon Brando that I saw in a theater when it came out um, I believe it was John Frankenheimer who was hired after they, they canned this guy and basically had to take over the production like a week into production and Stanley just had a terrible experience on that he didn't work for a long time after that there's a whole documentary about like the fiasco that was the making of this movie I believe it's called Island of Lost Souls or something so this uh, Colorado Space was kind of his big comeback and it is quite something uh, I won't say that I loved it I don't think it was a particularly great Lovecraft adaptation for me I mean what I love about Lovecraft is just kind of the overall cosmic existential dread that you get from his stories and I think that's mm. very hard to do in a movie and I think some of the best Lovecraft movies are the ones that are not specifically based on one of his stories um, but that are something like Carpenter's In the Mouth of Madness or the movie The Void which I absolutely love. I get the Lovecrafty feelings from that much more so than I do a lot of the ones that are straight adaptations. But um, I will say about Color Out of Space, it has one of the most bonkers Nicolas Cage performances I've ever seen. There's a scene where he yells at some alpacas. There's a scene where he chucks tomatoes. He's a farmer. The character in the movie is uh, he's a, a dad who's trying to raise his family on his own father's farm and is not very good at farming. And he gets real mad at some tomatoes at one point um oh my god i have to see this yeah it's pretty great so the story i mean it's it's kind of like this prototypical alien invasion kind of story that lovecraft did like back in the 20s or something and it's about uh you know this this force that comes out of space and starts sort of distorting reality and uh and changing people's bodies and destroying people's minds as lovecraftian monsters often do so nicholas cage is the patriarch of this family he's got two teenage kids and one younger son uh his wife is a, a cancer survivor and they are kind of in this remote area in the woods and, and living in this farmhouse and something crashes into their well and things get crazy from there. And, um, you know, I think it's it's kind of conventional in some ways and it's kind of campy in some ways that I didn't expect it to be. But the second half, there's some body horror stuff that really genuinely freaked me out. Um, there's some, some visual effects and some ideas in the second half of this movie that I was not prepared for and, and I, was, uh, I was definitely creeped out by it. So that was good. And, man, 
man, Cage is really something in this. Um, <laughs> he's kind of doing almost like a Jack Nicholson in The Shining thing where he gets progressively crazier as the movie goes on. But because oh, he's, cool. he's Nicolas Cage, even in the beginning, he's super weird and, and uh, you know, just an oddball and off kilter. And so he goes places even from there, right? Like Jack Nicholson in The Shining, you know, the opening scenes where they're driving in the car. He seems pretty normal. He seems like a pretty average dad. Um, and then, of course, that <laughs> well, uh, for the most part, I mean, you can see just kind of the, the glimpses of craziness with Nicolas Cage. Hmm. It's all just out on Front Street. He does this weird accent that, like, I don't know, it's it's set in Arkham, which is supposed to be in Massachusetts. It's it's Lovecraft's sort of fictional area of the world. And I guess maybe he thinks he's doing a New England accent. He thinks that's what people like me from New England sound like. Uh, but they definitely don't. He kind of turns it off and turns it back on. And it's, uh, it's a real bonkers cage performance and a, a visually very interesting movie. And I'm happy to see Richard Stanley back. You know, I'd give it like a 7 out of 10 or maybe a 6.5 out of 10. But... If you're a fan of any of those things, Lovecraft, mm. Stanley, Nicolas Cage, weird shit, body horror, you got to give it a shot. I think you might like it. He is supposed to be doing two more Lovecraft movies. Uh, he's going to do, I believe, uh, the Dunwich Horror and maybe Shadow Over Innsmouth or something like that. So I'm interested to see if he actually gets to complete the trilogy. But this was, uh, was an interesting way to start it. And it was just nice to watch a movie finally for once. I really liked Nicolas Cage in that bizarre and terrifying movie, Mandy. Mandy is great. Yes, Mandy is awesome. Yeah. Panos Cosmatos. Ah, that movie freaked me out, man. Another, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, watched on Shutter. <laughs> it, it's it's on a very different wavelength, and, uh, and it's just a stylish and atmospheric and crazy movie. I think I was sold. I heard way before I saw that movie that Nicolas Cage gets in a chainsaw fight with someone in that movie, and <laughs> I was done. I was like, all right, take my money, please. And, you know, I... I'd liked the chainsaw fight a lot. I don't think there's anything that could live up to what my expectations of that chainsaw fight were going to be. But uh, there was a lot of other stuff about that movie I liked. My wife, on the other hand, made it through about five minutes of it. And she's like, what the hell is this shit? I don't like it. I'm going to sleep. Oh, so. yeah. It's a slow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It yeah. is very slow, very atmospheric. Um, Panos Cosmatos is... Uh, again, we're sort of off on a tangent here, but a really interesting director to follow. So his first movie is called Beyond the Black Rainbow, which is just this surreal mindfuck inspired by David Cronenberg and John Carpenter. It has this very 80s sort of vibe to it. You know, 80s horror and sci-fi is a big influence there, and it's got a great score, and it's just a real weird... It doesn't have a very coherent story, but if you're just looking for, like, surreal imagery and that 80s sci-fi horror influence, definitely check out Panos Cosmatos' Beyond the... Beyond the Black Rainbow, I think it's called. I might be messing up the title there, but um, look that guy up. And another interesting thing about Panos Cosmatos is that his dad is George Cosmatos, who made the great movie Tombstone and the great ish movie Cobra from the 80s. So uh, it's quite oh, an no interesting way. filmmaking family there. And uh, I'm interested to see what, what his son does next, because both of his movies have been kind of different than anything I had ever seen before. So a lot of recommendations there, and I, I hope you will check some of those out. We got nothing better to do here in uh, <laughs> the, what, six months of the pandemic or whatever. But we can listen to John Carpenter's Lost Themes albums and hopefully anticipate another yes. one. So uh, let's get into Lost Themes too.
All right, we are back. You just heard a little snippet of John Carpenter's Lost Themes 2 album. So as Chris was saying before, this came out pretty quickly after the original Lost Themes. I mean, I don't Chris, do you know anything about the recording sessions? Like, was this all just kind of done in one shot and it was uh, just sort of decided at some point that it would be two albums and not a double? Or like, do you know anything about how the tracks were selected or, or when this was recorded as opposed to the other? I don't mean to put you on the spot because I don't know either. <laughs> I I have not been able to find anything that would confirm whether or not this was all recorded as like this, you know, massive selection of tracks and then split into two different records. And again, as I mentioned, there's like there's a remix album in between these two. So it's possible that these were all recorded at once or, or recorded separately. I don't know, uh, but I do think that just their tone and the overall like the overarching theme that theme, no pun intended. Uh, these two albums do work together pretty well, um, chemistry-wise. But I don't know, Nick. That's a good question. Um, you'd have to imagine that since this was released through Sacred Bones, maybe that maybe it was a contract. They said, hey, we want two albums, or maybe they were just letting him be in full creative control. I have no idea. Or maybe the first one was successful enough where there was like, what else you got, you know? Yeah, and I think both of us really gave the first Lost Theme some pretty positive reception. I mean, they're it, it really, really polished tracks. And I liked uh, I liked your kind of point of view on it when you were listening to it, how, you know, I, I'm listening to it just as a fan of him as a composer and that style of instrumental work, um, you know, lots of use of the synthesizer and strings and pianos. But you were, like, actually visualizing, like, ooh, like, what movie would this go to? Or, like, what movie could I... Uh, dream up that would correlate well to this particular piece of music. And uh, I tried to think about that a little bit more this time around. I've heard both of these records many, many times, uh, but it had been a while since I did Lost Themes 2, and I just listened to it uh, earlier today, so it's pretty fresh in my mind. Yeah, mine too. And I I definitely did the same thing with this one. I mean, I hear the sort of instrumental music and particularly from someone who is known as a film composer. And yeah, the first thing that pops into my head is, you know, what is the lost John Carpenter movie or the unmade John Carpenter movie <laughs> that, that this could be the soundtrack for? And I, I guess I have some questions for you, just sort of... Um, thoughts and, and feelings about this. So I agree that, that this is a great companion piece to the first album, and I think the production sounds pretty much exactly the same. The instrumentation is mostly the same. He's got the same people. Uh, it's, it's Cody Carpenter and Daniel Davies, his son and his godson, which is cool. But I kind of felt like, you know, even though thematically it's all of a piece, I think, this one seemed to me like a little bit more, I guess, progressive than the other one. I mean, that that's sort of the word that popped into my head, you know, in terms of progressive rock where tracks kind of go off in different directions and, and have multiple movements. I love sort of progressive music. I'm a big like Pink Floyd fan and stuff like that, where you're, you're not sort of getting like a two and a half minute pop song necessarily, but it could start out as that and then become something totally different. Um, I got, I mean, that definitely happened a little bit on Lost Themes 1, but I think that happens on almost every track on Lost themes too so i kind of felt like there was more tempo shifts and tonal changes with this one um i also felt like it was a little quieter and less heavy than than the first lost themes like i remember listening to that one and thinking you know this would be awesome for like a, a an escape from new york sequel or something like that and everything suggested that type of movie where there's a lot of fighting and chasing and running going on and with this one it felt not 
entirely more contemplative, but I, I felt like it was a little bit quieter and a little bit less sort of uh, driving in some ways. Am I crazy about that? Or, or did you get that sense too? I mean, there's certainly that. It's not like, this is not a, uh, I don't know, think of your, your favorite boring or, or slow-paced musical artist. It's not that, but um, I felt like this one kind of like put the brakes on a little bit and was a little bit more, you know, sort of ethereal and spacey and uh, and maybe a little slower tempo. Do you think so, too? I, I supremely agree with that assessment, and a lot of the words you just said I literally have written down here in my notes. And that almost makes me think now, um, maybe it... it that lends itself to two different theories, right? It's like they could have had all these songs ready to go and they wanted to front load volume one with like the more explosive tracks and the tracks that, you know, while Lost Themes One does have some songs that sound like multiple songs within a song, I absolutely agree that this one has a lot more kind of um, abrupt changes in the songs and also does have a more kind of contemplative atmospheric element to it. <clears throat> as opposed to more of like just the hard hitting, you know, kind of pulsating rhythm of the first Lost Themes. Yeah. And I, I mean, maybe part of the explanation for that is that that first album sounds a little bit more like what we know from John Carpenter. I mean, I was I think a lot of our discussion on that first album was like, well, this kind of sounds like the theme from Assault and Precinct 13. And this one has a little bit of an Escape from New York vibe. <laughs> and I definitely thought that a lot with this one, but I think a little bit less. Like, I think this is him just kind of getting a little bit farther from shore in a lot of ways. And, and I thought that was interesting. I mean, it doesn't always work. I will say you know cards on the table I like the first one better but this mm -hmm. one does some things that the first one doesn't do that I think are are definitely worth hearing so yeah I don't know I would that, agree that was just kind of my overall thoughts do you have any other big picture assessments of, uh, of Lost Themes 2? I think they'll kind of come up in our discussion if we just want to get into like track one Distant Dream um, what, were, what were your initial thoughts on that? I mean track one kicks off the album what 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 kind of uh, thoughts did you have on that well for me i mean this one sounds a lot like lost themes one i mean this, this is sort of some very traditional carpenter stuff it's got this really driving sort of bass line at the beginning it, it starts out the first minute or two of this track and i'm like all right this is gonna be a lot like the last album which i liked a lot so i was pumped for that um i was imagining i don't know why but but more so for this album than i did the first one the first time i was thinking movies right like this reminds me of this type of movie or this would be cool to score like uh, you know a, a, a shot in a post-apocalyptic sci-fi movie or something like that and for this one uh, maybe it's because I've been playing more video games and I'm watching movies these days uh, it's easier when you have a baby to, to sneak in five minutes of video game playing than to see a feature <laughs> film um, but I was kind of imagining video game soundtracks and this would sure. be so cool I don't know if you remember the game Wipeout that came out for the original PlayStation the PS1 mm-mm it's a like a hovercraft racing game. They're like these, I don't know if they were spaceships or hovercrafts, but there was a track. So I guess they were somehow connected to the track. I don't remember exactly what, what it was, but uh, it's this really sort of stylish, futuristic racing game and had this great techno soundtrack from like a lot of late 90s techno artists. And mm -hmm. this seemed to me like, at least the beginning of it, I was picturing a, a wipeout type game with this as the score to it. And I think that would be awesome. It would just be really cool 
to uh, to be racing and passing and uh, and hitting the hyperdrive and, and hearing this. Sure. But then it slows down. Um, you, you know, I, I kind of thought that was going to be the whole track. And right away, this album tells you, you know, be prepared for some some detours and some some shifts. And what it actually does is it kind of gets harder but slower, like about halfway through. Yeah, you get this full-on rock drums just come in, and it's got this super like buzzy guitar with a with a high-pitched synth. Is like that's that section I know you're, you're talking about there because it starts off with these very robotic sounds, and then it breaks into the you know what you, the, the classic Carpenter like you know, and yeah, that kind of breaks down into this like halftime full-on rock drums, guitar synth groove. And then after it, it kind of plays around in that world for a little bit, it toggles back to the main groove. And there's just a really, I think it builds really well. Like the kick drum comes in on the second verse and then the full-on drums drop over the main melody. I mean, in a lot of ways, this is really just classic Carpenter here. Uh, and I do think it, out of all the songs on two, this is probably the one that sounds the most like something on the first Lost Themes album. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I, I'm not sure if I'm right about this either, because I didn't get a chance to listen to these back to back, and I haven't heard Lost Themes one in a little while, although it's kind of part of my just regular rotation now. But I kind of feel like Lost Themes 2 has a little bit more of that organic, like actual instruments, uh, you know, electric guitar and drums. Like these don't sound like synth drums. These sound like real drums in this song. Am I right about that, or, or am I just. On this. Uh, no, on this track in particular, yes, that sounds like. A, a real drum kit yeah okay i know i mean i've i've seen pictures of them recording these and i know they're actually using real instruments for a lot of it but also there's a lot mm-hmm. of synthesized and, and digitally generated stuff and i kind of feel that like this album leans a little bit farther away from that so if you're into more sort of organic sounding and and you know carpenter's not known for that he's known for the the synthesizer work so it's uh just another way of uh of sort of getting away from what we're used to but yeah it's, it's definitely i think it sets the tone nicely for the album just just with that um there's like full-on guitar solos on this album which i don't recall there being a lot of that on the first so yeah and we get there's i mean there's there's uh there's segments of music that have acoustic guitar in this record as well which i don't think are present on the first uh, volume so yeah you have a point there so white pulse this is the song that it's weird how do you remember um the first or the second song on Lost Themes Volume One. I, I'm sure I do. <laughs> well, it's it's it, if you remember it, it's like basic. The song is called Obsidian, and it's eight and a half minutes long, and it just changes like many, many, many times throughout the the recording. It just sounds like a, a whole compilation of different songs in one piece of music. But then it's like bookended at the end with the same theme is the beginning which is really kind of cool i love that song uh i this is this album's obsidian i think it's i wrote here this is three songs in one but i love the way this one starts with those chimes the almost like xylophone tubular bells kind of sound i wrote down tubular bells all i mean it's again we we know even going back to halloween right like that was a big influence on him was that is mike oldfield the uh the tubular tubular bells which was uh incorporated into the exorcist soundtrack and yeah i mean this is it's almost like a a retread of that like this has a a very sort of exorcist theme kind of feel to it at first it uh, i I wrote down Exorcist, but I also wrote down after 
raising octaves with dramatic strings, it almost sounds uplifting. Like yes. it's <laughs> man, it, 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 it's, it's like we listened got... to this album together and we totally didn't. Yeah, I said it's it's more dreamy than creepy. Yep. Yeah, and this one again employs like a super abrupt change. Uh, I mean, like the most insanely abrupt change you could imagine. You've got this again, this uplifting like bell, you know, beautiful progression, and then all of a sudden it just drops into like double kick drums and top, like this full on percussive onslaught and you know of course he has the eerie like choir sounds and um, it, it breaks into some piano i i really like that stuff the um there's this sort of like it's in the background it's like this kind of ambience that goes almost through this whole track and while it's doing mm-hmm. all the things that you were just talking about there's these little you know synth things and and like digitized voices and stuff and it's just barely audible right like you you have to kind of turn it up to even hear it but it just gives the whole thing this sort of like eerie feel there's some distortion on the synthesizer that that sounds just like a little twisted and a little off kilter and so yeah it's it's kind of upbeat and it's kind of dreamy but also it, it's sort of firmly rooted in in the spooky stuff also yeah i don't know i wrote down here again graceful ending with the peaceful and ominous synth layers um this is a pretty complicated song it's it's really and and the way i i totally see this song as just three different movements it's like <laughs> One song is the first third, then it turns into a different song for the se- for the middle section, and then it's a completely different song in the, in the third half. So that would definitely kind of lend itself to what you were saying before about how a lot of these songs are not afraid to be in the more progressive vein, I guess. Um, but another song that I, I, I like very much. Yeah, I like this one too. And there's uh, the piano section at the end. I, I just made the note here, like that itself could be the main theme for a movie. Like that sounds like a film's main title theme. And then everything else here would be just like other pieces of the score, you know, to, to underscore particular moods or movements in the movie. So um, yeah, this is almost like a little soundtrack in and of itself. So we're off to a good start. Um, next, we have a song called Persia Rising. Man, I, re- yes. I really wish I knew where he got a lot of these titles from, but Persia Rising is track three. <laughs> yeah, I, I have some questions about the titles here, right? Because I think some of them are, are a little misleading. Um, I like these two-word titles. They're all sort of very punchy and direct, but they don't necessarily suggest to me what the song is going to be because I kind of expected with the title Persia Rising that it would have like some kind of Middle Eastern influence and, like I don't know, totally. just have some sort of... like I was thinking of... like. Prince of Persia, like back to video games, right? That uh, the great video game series and the terrible Jake Gyllenhaal movie, Prince of Persia. And uh, and I thought this might be like Carpenter's take <laughs> on how he would have scored that terrible movie if he'd been given the job. And uh, and it doesn't remind me of that at all. It almost sounds to me, the note I made here is, is like, this sounds like a Castlevania game almost. Yep, totally. Uh, yeah, John Carpenter's Persia Rising. How cool would that be? Yeah. <laughs> um, this is this song is really kind of I mean it's a it's it's not as dynamic as some of the other tracks. I think that as you said you you might be expecting to hear some things like some kind of, you know, Middle Eastern influence in there, but really it just starts off with a pulsing vintage synth tone. You know, we of course he as he normally does puts a dark melody in there with the piano. I think this. I think the synth sound in here reminds me a little bit of the Precinct Thirteen, 
uh, sound that he chose to go with, and some of the pieces of music that are in Halloween I can hear in this song. Yeah. But it's got a really... Um, just other elements that he like he's got his bag of tricks like any other musician does like there's a there's a great and very slick arpeggiated synthesizer in here it's it's such a cool feature on that instrument it's very hard to not overuse but what i got out of this was um this had a very sci-fi for some reason i was picturing outer space and like time travel or something when i was listening to this um i wrote down the words wide open calm but calculated and wide open i don't even know what that means yeah no i i I get exactly what you're saying i mean i think a lot of this album has more of a sci-fi feel i mean if the first one was kind of horror tinged i feel like this one is uh, like i said before i use the word spacey and i think this is one of the tracks that's a little spacey um what Mm -hmm. what i think though is this one kind of does what it's gonna do in the first 30 seconds to a minute and then just kind of keeps doing that for the rest of the track so I kind of lost interest like I was waiting for this one to take that turn that the other two did and it never really did so it's uh it's kind of a cool little groove that it sets up but then it doesn't really go anywhere from there it's if, if the rest of it was kind of progressive this is kind of not progressive at all I agree I agree with that and I and I would say we could even move on because I don't have much to say about that track other than um you know it's it, you're definitely right. It doesn't have like any of the more dramatic shifts that you find in most of the other songs. There is a cool little thing with an organ at the end that comes in. It's kind of like a choppy, almost had like a reggae, like offbeat feel to it. I, I don't know. It's just strange. But yeah, this is definitely one of my, it's just kind of more generic sounding, I think, compared to some of the other songs. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Whereas uh, the next one is Angel's Asylum, and uh, and I think that doesn't do that. That's uh, I think Angel's Asylum might be my favorite on the album. I don't know about you. Well, I love it because right off the bat, this is the first, like the harpsichord. I'm always a sucker for a good harpsichord. <laughs> and, and dude, like as soon as you have to have it in there. You got the harpsichord. This song has like a traditional '80s rock feel to it. Like, yeah, it's it, it totally. My note here, I said traditional '80s rock feel could be on any '80s slasher film. Yeah, uh, you you get total metal riffage here. Um, it's it's layered, and then just you know, I mean, I could just I, again to me, I, this could be applicable to like any. 80s horror movie yeah i agree with that this also does uh, i mean i was thinking goth rock right like that great sort of and and i love that you know bauhaus and uh, sisters of mercy and like that type of dark sort of synthy music at the time was huge and you don't really hear much like that anymore and a lot of stuff on this album and the other one kind of gave me that vibe um this one it's one of the longer tracks and like about three minutes into it like pretty well into the the track it does this almost like english folk thing like you were talking about the harpsichord and it kind of brings that back and it almost sounds like a little medieval and a little sort of um you know like like english folk music and i did not really expect that at all and and it kind of gets really pretty by the end and i don't know i've never really heard that influence much in any other carpenter stuff and i really like it i kind of like to hear more of that i was listening to this on vinyl and I had to literally stand up to see if the song had changed. Yeah. Like, I, I was like, am I starting to write, am I starting to listen to the beginning of track five right now? Or is this just the end of four? And as it turns out, it's the end of track four. 
And you're absolutely right. You get the harpsichord element. He implements an acoustic guitar in there with a little bit of reverb. Um, and it's just this kind of beautiful, ominous outro. And it's 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 got it's layered with strings. It has a very moving feel to it. Yeah, this might be one of my favorites on the album, too, I think. It reminds me, I don't remember what the context of this conversation was, but I know we had a conversation on the show once about how John Carpenter never did like a medieval set movie. And it would be so cool to see him do one where it's like Assault in Precinct 13, but like set in a castle or something like that. <laughs> and uh, and this, oh, dude, this dude. might be a pretty good soundtrack piece for that film. Oh, man. Assault on Fortress 13. <laughs> there you go. It's just, and, dude, think about it. He'd have to like break all these walls, but they're all like big stone walls and stuff. Be awesome. <laughs> can can we make one called Escape from York? Just like old old, old York. <laughs> Escape from old York. I love it. <laughs> Come for the carpenter talk, stay for the puns. Yeah, I really like this track a lot. And and again, it's just cool like to listen to this stuff and and to like I don't I've said it on the show before, like to write to this kind of music. I mean, I had never really done that before. And, and since we've been doing the show, I've been listening to a lot of scores and, and a lot of them, particularly Carpenter inspired scores. And I do think it's it's pretty good for the creative process. And in terms of like actually doing visual types of writing and, and, and film writing specifically, I'm really kind of getting a lot of ideas from this stuff. Forgot to mention earlier, I was talking about Color Out of Space. The music in that is by the great Colin Stetson. So that is another check in that film's favor. I, I absolutely love all of Colin Stetson's soundtrack work. I don't love all the movies that it's been in, but I love uh, that that guy's music, I think, is absolutely fantastic. He's probably my favorite film composer working now. So, uh, yeah, Colin Stetson's awesome. Yeah, this this music's great for not only writing to, but reading to. Sure. And uh, I, I often put this on when I'm reading. It's 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 not something that's distracting. I found myself, as I've gotten older, especially being, um, you know, just so focused on pe- artists like John Carpenter, Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross. Like, I'm really digging instrumental music more than ever before. It's just kind of, in a lot of ways, less distracting. And, uh yeah. You, you can cook to it. <laughs> you can you can read to it. You can write to it. Uh, I know what you're saying, though. It's inspiring. Yeah, listening to John Carpenter is a way to make your life sound more interesting. Like he's scoring just your your day to day business. You know, I've taken it like for a run with me. I've gone to the driving range yeah. and hit golf balls with John Carpenter playing. And um, yeah, there's. Uh, I was actually reading so Pitchfork pitchfork magazine pitchfork the website covered both lost themes one and lost themes two they were not as favorable toward lost themes two as uh, as they were toward the first one and kind of like the whole thrust of the review was like carpenter's not very good at making sequels this with you know the album with the two in the title i guess they sort of considered <laughs> it a sequel to the original and they trashed escape from la in that review um but one of the things that that it did say was try listening to this on the bus on the way home from work and uh and it'll be a cool like closing theme for your day and and yeah i definitely get that out of it sure i mean it's i think overall it was still um received pretty positively from most well it's uh, it's pitchfork they don't like anything so the fact that they liked the first album was like whoa that must be some real mind-blowing shit there because you know to get a good review from them is uh is not an easy thing uh let's talk about hoffner dawn because i had to look (laughs) up what hoffner was it's a it's a guitar manufacturer yeah, and they make um, 
primarily bass guitars, or I think that's what they're, they're known more for are their bass guitars. And that is exactly the first thing I thought of because this song starts off with this like chugging electric bass. Yeah. And I, th- I thought to myself, I was like, huh, I wonder if they're referring to Hoffner, the instrument. And I think that they are. So <laughs> I'm pretty sure unless he has a buddy named Hoffner, but yeah, yeah. They're, uh, they're very like, um, what's the word I, I want to look for kind of retro. Uh, instruments, so I'm not surprised that he probably has a Hofner instrument or two kicking around. But yeah, it th- this I I just googled that quickly because I know you're in the the guitar business. So I was like, I'll just yeah. ask Chris; he'll know everything I need to know. I don't even need to read the Wikipedia page. Yeah, I've had my hands on several Hofner instruments in my time. Not particularly my taste, but hey, that's fine. Um, so yeah, this Hofner Dawn starts off this chugging kind of pulsing bass, and then this one has a pretty dramatic spin on it, too. It goes into this, I wrote down a beautiful, melodic, almost lullaby. Yeah, it's almost new agey. Um, it's almost like uh, like spa music for a while. Yep, and very <laughs> soft, very, very spa. <laughs> it's Smooth Moods with John Carpenter. Yeah, Hoffner, Hoffner uh, Spa. Um, no, it basically has this really kind of, uh, dreamy feel to it, and the the synth pads on it are very soft. And I didn't really write down too much for this one. I did I did include that, of course. There's melody with piano, strings, and various synth pads. And then I just wrote the word hopeful with a question mark after it. I don't know. I got a kind of a hopeful vibe from this. One. I agree. This is kind of like as relaxing as it gets, and uh, and it's melodic also. I mean, some of his tracks are more sort of rhythmic based, and this one actually does have. You could hum along to this one. It's got like a pretty distinct melody to it, and uh, yeah, it's all underscored with that great bass line. That sort of I, I wrote it down as kind of a, a quiet persistent rhythm that it has because it's not overpowering but it is still kind of driving and kind of just pushes you through the track really nicely i mean i like this one it's not one of my favorites but it's it's a sound that i think i would be interested to hear more of yep totally agree uh track six so this would be the point where if you're listening to it on vinyl you would be flipping over the record and going into or wait no that's not true uh the first six tracks are on side a uh, windy death. What a great title. I love, I love that. <laughs> windy death. Yeah. Uh, this might be my favorite song on the album here, actually. Okay. Uh, this one starts off. I said, it sounds like a funeral. There's this kind of like the intro sound just reminded me of, you know, like the kind of pipe organ that you would hear at a, at a funeral or something like that. And then it just explodes into this epic riff. The word epic just kept coming to mind when I was listening to uh, the main riff in this song. And it like, I love how it ascends and descends and it builds both ways. And there's just a lot of, I don't know, I just really like the texturing um, in this song. Again, second verse, they add in this amazingly timed out and arpeggiated synth that starts to um, bleed over the drum beat. But this one, too, kind of changes a little bit and goes into this more atmospheric, airy kind of breakdown. And then they flip the switch back to like the epic main melody 
towards the end. So I, I don't know. I like the structuring of this one and I really like the main riff on it. Yeah, I do too. I mean, it definitely has that epic, almost like an apocalyptic kind of feel to it. Like if the end of your yeah. movie, if the climax of your movie is just like some world destroying thing, uh, this would be a great thing to soundtrack that. Um, what's cool about this one is, and I'm not sure if any other track on this album does this, but there's these couple of chords, there's synth chords that play like almost to signal that it's going to transition from one movement to the next movement. And mm-hmm. I, I wrote down the word menacing because i don't know like i know there's a whole thing where like minor chords sound a certain way like i think minor chords are the sad ones i'm not a music guy i'm a film guy so but i, I that, <laughs> no, that's, that's the way it works right? true. Like minor chords are the sad ones major chords are the the upbeat sort of happy ones and so mm-hmm. i don't know i i'm not sure if these are minor or major but i thought they were menacing i don't know what kind of chord that is but basically what it is is it's almost um like the way you would transition between sequences in a movie with something sort of striking like that this kind of it does that and I really liked that about it to sort of just tie everything together and it's almost like a piece of connective material between like you said the uh, the opening section which is kind of a little more synthy and then it there's a quiet part and then the end of it is just sort of synths and guitars and kind of everything just all coming together in this very epic sort of way I mean I think that's a great way to describe it yeah it's like Lost Themes 1 where there's the build-up you know, leading towards the the climax of the song. And yeah, Nick, I mean, I'm going to say John Carpenter probably doesn't play many major chords in his music. (laughs) Uh, I I mean, maybe it's got to be 10% or less. So if the word menacing would definitely be associated with a a minor chord or minor key, which most of these are because they're just more fun and, and, and dark, but. Um, yeah, it's a great track though, and and again, perfect title. I like if there is a movie, if he ever wants to make a movie called Windy Death, I don't care what it is, I want to see it. John Carpenter's Windy Death. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, I, I'd watch it. Um, speaking of movie titles, so the next track is called Dark Blues. And I yeah. swear, when I was working at Blockbuster in the early 2000s, wasn't there a Kurt Russell movie? He played a cop and it was called Dark Blue. Dark Blue. I'm pretty uh, that's, sure. That, that's entirely possible. Uh, Nick, why don't you start talking about this song, Dark Blues, while I look up if there's a movie <laughs> called Dark Blue. I, I'm uh, no, there absolutely sure. is. I already found it. Uh, yes, a 2002 film. Starring Kurt Russell uh, and Ving Rhames, actually. Oh, that sounds Direct- good, actually. Maybe I should watch this movie that I kind of sort of remember seeing on the shelf and restocking on the shelf during my brief tenure at Blockbuster. thought it would be the best job in the world for me, but uh, you know, hmm. I was in college, so I had more interesting things to do than, than work in a video store. Well, Nick, you can, you can watch it on Showtime with the Prime Video channels. It's about Kurt Russell, a robbery homicide investigation triggers a series of events that will cause a corrupt LAPD officer to question his tactics. There you have it. Okay. Well, Kurt Russell, I I feel like he could question his tactics in a pretty interesting way. So (laughs) I will check that movie out. Um, The reason I bring that up at all is because this track to me sounds very much like an 80s action movie. And I know that was made in like 2001 or 2002. But just from that description you read and the fact that it stars Kurt Russell, it's probably very much like an 80s action movie. It kind of sounds like a little bit of a throwback. And this would be, uh, you know, if you're doing like a, a Black Moon Rising kind of movie or something like that, I feel like this would fit that really nicely and uh and there's a great guitar solo i was i was mentioning the guitar solos on this album and this is one of the tracks that has one and because it's kind of layered against the synths it really stands out and i think it sounds really cool i like that a lot yeah i was trying to figure out what made this song bluesy 
and and the only thing I could come up with would be <laughs> I think it's like, another misleading title. Yeah, I think that the um maybe it's it's the, the guitar or you know the the lead guitar as you were mentioning towards the end. Yeah. I mean there is a, I guess there's a little bit of bluesiness like in the groove of it all. Um I wrote down something here that just made me laugh because I, I I kind of just write all this stuff without looking it over but I wrote Reminds me of some sort of slow graveyard shuffle. <laughs> what the fuck does that mean? I have no idea what that means. Um, <laughs> that sounds like a shitty version of the monster mash. Like, do the graveyard shuffle. Yeah. <laughs> like, when when you can't get the rights to the monster mash, you use the graveyard shuffle. <laughs> John Carpenter's <laughs> graveyard shuffle. I would watch that. Sounds too much like Stephen King's Graveyard Shift, though. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't get much of a horror vibe from this one, and I definitely didn't get much of a blues vibe. And based on the track name, I figured this might sound something like the They Live score, which is very sort of blues-inspired, and uh, and it's not really that. It's not, but it's probably the closest thing to They Live in some kind of way on here as far as that music. But again, you know, it's got the tropes that you'd want. You know, it incorporates a very deep, like, thick very thick sounding synth bass to it and again there's some lead distorted electric guitar uh licks that we haven't really heard on any of the other compositions but i'm not really sure it's all that bluesy again maybe it's just the grooves i don't really have much to say about this this track to be honest fair enough uh we can move on then to uh, virtual survivor which is another great title that i don't necessarily know means anything but uh (laughs) Whatever, that's what you're going to call it. That's what you're going to call it. Um, (laughs) The note that I made here, and I I really got this feeling strongly from this track, is this sounds like the end credits to a movie. And it's been such a long time since I've actually been to a movie theater. I'm just sad about that. But you know the feeling when you see a great movie, like something kind of charged and action-packed, and this music is just sort of playing in the background, and you're walking out of the theater to it, and you're just kind of like feeling all charged up because you just saw a really badass movie. And I don't know, Virtual Survivor kind of gave me that feeling or reminded me of what that feeling is like. Uh, That's interesting you say that because I took a note of ending credits, but it's for either the song after this or the final one. Uh, But here's the thing. Virtual Survivor. And by the way, I have to say this now, like it's 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 I just can't get the gag out of my mind of having any one of these song titles be a John Carpenter movie title. This would be pretty funny. Um, <laughs> it's like a Zoom meeting gone awry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this one, I just said, this is a very rugged sound to it. And I swear to God, this could have been an alternative theme song for Escape from New York. This has the, you know, the chugging guitar and the, the piano chord progression in this just really reminded me of Escape from New York. Like I was even thinking of um, like just how dark the whole setting of that movie is and how it has this really eerie, like high pitched synths that kind of match that setting. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it's classic and it's tough sounding. And for some reason it just, for me, that 
correlated into something that was reminiscent of the the main theme from Escape from New York. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I feel like when he's doing a lot of this music, when he's writing it and, and composing it and playing it, like that's the kind of thing. I mean, not that he's trying to just sort of do a retread of his own original work, right? But like, you know, he's he's got this whole body of work and these films that he's done and I'm sure they're on his mind. And I feel like that's one of the ones that really is, is sort of fueling this musical creativity more so than like a Starman or a Big Trouble in Little China, you know what I mean? Like, like when he's doing this this music for Lost Themes, I think it is much more in the like, what what would it sound like if I did another sequel to Escape from New York, or like if I was gonna do an updated version of that movie for now, like that that same kind of story. I kind of feel like it's coming from that place more so than it is some of his other stuff that he's done. Yeah, I completely agree, and I do like that title, even though I have no idea how it's associated with the song. Um, I, I do like that title. Yeah. Virtual Survivor. How can you be a virtual survivor? That that means you didn't survive. <laughs> <laughs> that means you're actually dead. I don't know. <laughs> Get back to it. If you would like to, uh, uh, Cody Carpenter or Daniel Davies or, or John Carpenter, if you're listening to the show, um, we'd love to know what the inspiration behind some of these song titles are. So hit us up. <laughs> I'm sure we'd have other questions too, but we could start there. At, speaking of which, the next title for track nine is probably the most unusual here, uh, Bella Lugosi. Yes. Nick, what did you think of Bella Lugosi? Um, well, I went into this again, like these titles are suggesting things to me, and, and I should probably have dropped that way back with Persia Rising, right? But I was like, oh, this is going to be kind of John Carpenter's take on classic universal horror movie music. And I guess it does sort of sound like that. You know, it's got that little... Um, you know, the kind of thing that you would hear in an or orchestral version and in, in like a classic universal horror film, like from the 1930s, it kind of does like almost a synth version of that. Yeah, it's got kind of a, I don't know, sort of a larger than life sound to it. Um, very gothic, very sort of over the top, like spooky sounding. Yep. Which, of course, Absolutely. fits the title very well. It does. And I mean, I think that at this, this point, in the record like it just i don't know i put fits well like i don't know just as far as the the sequencing of the tracks i just thought that this sounded like it was in the right place again it's it's not a song that i really had much to comment on or much to say about i think this is kind of more just classic carpenter kind of in a in a um I don't want to say stripped down or, or generic way because I do love all these songs, but uh, yeah, I just didn't have much to say about this one. Yeah, I mean, I guess I kind of wanted something more along the lines of what I was saying out of this, right? Like, I thought this was going to be like a real a throwback, you know, and, and, and to have this very retro kind of feel to it. And it doesn't really, it kind of, in some ways, maybe sort of has that that universal monster movie kind of thing going on, but but not that much. Um, I, I think it's closer to the Carpenter horror scores than it is to uh, to any sort of, like, golden age of Hollywood horror. So that brings us to Last Sunrise. Yep. And this is another one you really have to pay attention to. The it's it's tough. Again, that's probably the one disadvantage to me listening to this on vinyl is that sometimes it's really hard to tell when these songs actually transition <laughs> into one another without any space between them. But I love this kind of stuff. This is another one that I really liked. Um, super super dark. Again, we have some great synth arpeggiations here. Some really nice minor chord changes. It's actually. Uh, I wrote beautiful uh, emotional context, and again, I use the word 
sci-fi extraterrestrial this one also had kind of a, a spacey vibe to me yeah i mean i don't want to skip ahead too much but i think last sunrise and the track that follows it which is the official ending of the album utopian facade they both have this sci-fi feel to them they ba- they both sound like kind of space opera kind of soundtracks i mean i feel like it, it would suit a movie that is almost a 2001 kind of movie, like not a really dark, gritty space movie like an alien or something like that, but more of a 2001 or 2010 kind of movie. Yeah, and this is the strange thing. This is what you wrote about uh, Virtual Survivor. I put down here, um, it reminds me of the closing, something that would play over closing credits, which threw me off because I thought, at that point, I was listening to Utopian Facade, but I was not. I was still listening to Last Sunrise. But there's a lot going on here. I mean, you've got some some pretty tasteful pianos here. Um, it's It's got a haunting uh, kind of vibe to it. And then it picks up, too, and gets kind of uh, upbeat as well. So I think this is kind of a good... Uh, bookend to like track two white pulse where it's just kind of doing a lot of different things in one and i'm fine with that i don't mind the the abrupt changes and things of that nature no and especially like late late in the album like this to hear it still doing stuff like that is great i mean this is not gonna put you to sleep which is nice yeah and if you don't mind because you don't really pay attention to stuff like that right like who it's it's interesting that we even have these discussions doing it track by track because I mean, for the most part, people are listening to playlists nowadays, and when they are listening to an album top to bottom, they're not really paying attention to what the song titles are. And uh, that that was kind of, uh, I think, a really great point that you brought up, how a lot of these are just, they'll kind of throw you off a little bit because the title might not fit in your imagination what the tone of the actual song is. I mean, I guess this did have sort of an apocalyptic feel to it, Last Sunrise. Um, I just kept, again, I just kept thinking of, like, outer space or something i don't know yeah i mean i think this album ends i mean if we want to consider these two the last tracks and we'll talk about uh was it real Zeno, the the bonus track that's on the cd versions of this which uh which i heard and i think we should talk about but i feel like the these last two tracks at the end of this are very sort of sci-fi sort of inspired and uh, and have this big sort of spacey you're saying wide open i think they both have that mm-hmm. feel to them and uh and sound like kind of the ending to an, an epic sci-fi movie which carpenter that's another thing that i would love to see him do that he never really got to do like he did do a riff on 2001 that was dark star but um that's kind of a very small movie and he never got to do the kind of like epic space adventure that i think he'd, he'd probably knock out of the park if he had a chance to do it you know i'm sure you're very excited for for uh, Dennis Villeneuve's uh, Dune remake that's coming out soon-ish. Sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'll watch anything that guy makes. Yeah, sure. Me too. And uh, and I definitely, I don't know, I feel like that kind of movie or like an Arrival or something, to go back to another uh, Denis film, mm-hmm. um, these would have fit something like that really nicely. I agree. Um, Utopian Facade. I wrote here, it sounds like... there. Uh, this word I must have wrote down four or five times throughout my note taking, but it has a hopeful tone to it. It almost sounds like the music you would hear when someone is like about to, you know, venture out on a quest or or some mission. And uh, there's actually like there's little hints of brass uh, at the end here that, yeah. that kind of bleed through. And like I was like, oh man, I don't think we've heard any brass. Uh, and in any of these songs until this point so has kind of a triumphant sound to it and I think that you know as far as the record is concerned that is the official 
uh, closer, and I think it's it's an appropriate closer. Nick, I'm ashamed to say, I don't even think I've ever even heard the Spotify bonus track for this for this album. So you're gonna have to hold down the fort on that one. Uh, honestly, I don't really have a lot of notes about it. I mean, it, it's it feels very much like a bonus track, right? It kind of sounds just like bits and pieces of a lot of these other tracks. I mean, it's it's just. I thought the title, I mean, real Xeno, and I'm thinking Xenomorphs, and this might be something that might fit an alien movie, but it's not really that. Um, it's got kind of that driving, like, Escape from New York-ish kind of synth progression thing, and, um, you know, it's uh, it's not one of the more memorable tracks on the album, and I guess it's a fun addition for, I think it was on, like, the some of the digital versions and, and some of the CD versions of this that were released, but, uh, yeah, not really much to say about it overall. <laughs> I mean, most of the rest of these tracks, I think, are, are more interesting, and I think the album as a whole is is you know pretty interesting in and of itself and you don't necessarily need this this one to like i think utopian facade is a great conclusion to it and you can just probably stop there yeah listen to angels asylum and virtual survivor if anything um you know distant dream i agree with you i mean you you set off the show just by saying that you know you favored had a little bit more favorable opinion towards volume one as do i um but not by that much you know what I mean? It's 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 still a pretty narrow margin. Like I I don't think this is um, I don't think it's it would be fair to say that this is inferior. It's just different, if that makes sense. Well, I, I think it's it's the mood you're in, also, right? I mean, I I'm yeah. very sort of when I listen to music, it's very connected to the mood. So if I'm feeling angry, there's a certain type of music that I'll listen to. If I'm having a really good day, if I just want to like space out and vibe out, like I have music for that too. And so the first Lost Themes is much more aggressive, I think, and driving, yes. and, and sort of action packed and creepier yep. and darker. And this one kind of gets more into almost a softer, kind of more ethereal, dreamy kind of place. And you know, I think there's a time and a place for both of those things and i could definitely see myself putting this one on in situations where the other one probably just wouldn't really work wouldn't wouldn't really suit the mood so yeah i mean i don't think they're uh they're like night and day one is really great and one is is terrible i just think you know if if just sort of based on who i am and what i like and and what i love of of carpenter's music i think the first one is just a better indication of that but uh i like a lot of what he's doing here too yeah, I'd say overall that the first one has a little bit more commercial appeal to it. That might be and true I think too. It was it was probably smart of Sacred Bones being that that was going to be his first, you know, solo studio album to be like, all right, you know, again, let's front load the first one with the tracks that have a little bit more of a commercial appeal to them, have a little bit more of a song structure that people are used to. Yeah. And then and then save some of the more kind of atmospheric, you know, um <laughs> wide open ones, I guess, as we said before, for volume two. And I'm fine with that. I think that both the fact that both of these records exist are great. And I do at some point in this um, long journey that we have here that we get to talk about the remixed album, uh, maybe as a bonus episode or something, because there's some really interesting stuff on there that I'd love to get your opinion on. And just in the interest of being completists, we have to do it anyway. So Nick... What is up next on the radar here? Oh man, we've got a whole lot planned. It's great to be back. First of all, it's uh, I, yes. I'm I'm kind of bummed that we had to take some time off and just couldn't get everything coordinated but i feel like we're coming back pretty strongly in october of course october is halloween month it's uh gonna be a very different halloween this year than we're probably used to but the movie still exists and thank god for that i cannot wait to fire that up like i do every year and just sort of get back in the old haddonfield kind of groove so 
Looking forward to I that very it. much. And uh, our next movie to talk about is In the Mouth of Madness, which we've already mentioned on the show, which is sort of Carpenter's most, I think, outwardly Lovecraftian movie, although he's made a few that certainly have uh, some thematic parallels to H.P. Lovecraft. But this is the one where he really kind of shows his love for, for Lovecraft, his, his Lovecraft love. Uh, he <laughs> wow! <laughs> he really shows his appreciation for Lovecraft in this movie, and I'm really excited to talk about that. And then we've got a couple of Halloween films that I think now is the uh, the best time of year to talk about them. So Halloween Two, which is written by John Carpenter, directed by Rick Rosenthal, and then Halloween Three: Season of the Witch, directed by Carpenter's good buddy and frequent collaborator Tommy Lee Wallace, and was supposed to be the beginning of a whole new take on the Halloween franchise that kind of didn't go anywhere but that's a film that I think is definitely worth addressing on the show so we're going to do kind of a bonus episode I don't know exactly what the timing of that's going to be but we've got a whole lot planned for Halloween yeah and we got to go so we're going to move forward in time and go back in time a little bit which I like and uh, maybe we could even have some discussion about some of the press that Halloween Kills has been getting um, I don't know It's I know it's probably going to be what another year they're saying now before it comes out but man am I excited to see that yeah they're hyping the hell out of it and uh, the on set pictures I've seen Jamie Lee Curtis I've seen all kinds of stuff from from the production of those movies and yeah it's it's going to be really fun when that comes out I mean I guess they'll probably hold that till next October so we've got a lot to look forward to in uh, in 2021 also and then of course Chris Rock's Saw movie which might be now my most anticipated movie of 2021 I know that's crazy. <laughs> well, there you have it, man. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. So a uh, lot to talk about. Big month ahead of us. I- I'm very happy to be back. We'd love to hear from you, our listeners. Of course, sorry to have left you hanging for a while, but uh, but we're not going anywhere anytime soon. If you'd like to get a hold of us, our email address is precinct13podcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear some feedback from you there. Let us know what your take on the Lost Themes album is. And uh, if you have any information about the supposedly upcoming Lost Themes 3, we'd love to hear it. We'll talk about it on the show will surely give you credit for it um we're just interested to know just as as fans of this stuff uh we're on mm-hmm. twitter at one three precinct facebook.com slash one three precinct and our website where you can download all of our episodes and subscribe to the show is precinct one three dot simplecast.com please check that out leave us a review uh leave us some feedback on itunes or whatever your preferred podcast provider is uh we would really really appreciate that if you've been listening to the show for a while and uh we really appreciate you continuing to listen to it and and plenty of stuff to come in the near future with that i think we're going to head out any final thoughts chris no i'm ready to go into the mouth of madness with with you man i am ready to descend into (laughs) the mouth of madness with poor old sam (laughs) neill he goes 1993 he's in jurassic park in 1994 he's in the mouth of madness so uh that guy just can't catch a break we will be back in two weeks on precinct 13 